welcome back from the episode of Chew the Bible. As I said, we're getting it's getting juicy, it's getting juicy. David just man, poor David. Poor Uriah. So David, instead of going off to battle, he stays back in Jerusalem. And one night he happens to be up, couldn't sleep. You know, back then they didn't have any TVs, so when you sleep, you couldn't sleep. What do you do? You go for a walk on your rooftop. <laughs> Goes for a walk on his roof, talking like, hey, who's that fine woman on that rooftop on the other side? Isn't that Uriah's wife? Oh, snap. Have her come over to my bed. I'm the king, by the way. I can do whatever I want. And so and it's interesting that she had just finished purifying herself. And it's not like she was trying to seduce David or anything. That's for, we don't get that from reading this. She just happened to be out out there now the now here's where it gets interesting with that and i didn't bring this up in the last episode but she had a choice to disobey david but i mean technically that could have led to her death if she said hey i'm not gonna sleep with you but she had a choice to say no so that leads me to believe that she probably wanted i don't know i could be wrong could be wrong I don't want to read too much into the text because it doesn't say it, but I mean, she could have said no. So, um, it's just a very interesting story. And then, yeah, Uriah, David comes up with this whole plot to, yeah, yeah, after Bathsheba says she's pregnant, David's like, oh snap, she's pregnant. How am I gonna, how am I gonna hide this one? And, uh, he's like, well, sends off his servant or his messenger to say hey bring uriah back home and tries to get can get convinced him to sleep with his his wife even gets him drunk another night and uriah refuses to sleep with her because it was a standard rule that when you weren't off in battle men wouldn't sleep with their wives or whatever they wouldn't have sex they were refrained from sex during a time of battle and he didn't feel right with his soldiers being back out there in the fields he didn't feel like it was right to enjoy the pleasure of sleeping with his wife and all the other men out there fighting weren't able to do the same so yeah he slept outside of a room and then david's like well this ain't working i'm about to just kill this dude and yeah he doesn't actually kill him but he sets up a plan to sit him on the senior right on the front lines and yeah, Uriah ends up being murdered on the front lines of battle. So it was basically a uh, suicide mission that David sent him off on. So anyway, now we find ourselves in Second Samuel chapter 12 and talking about Nathan's parable and David's repentance. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds. Let's see here. But the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had brought, that he had bought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. 
Verse 5, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for the lamb. Must pay four lambs. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. <laughs> this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued, rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? Or what does this say? Here? Yeah what I consider evil. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You are that man. I got a foot page. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. So it's like a, like a, uh, what do you call it? A, a murder for hire kind of situation. That's happened a lot. Yeah, where you, uh, oh, who was that wide receiver? Murder for hire. Who was that wide receiver? It was like a big story. I can't think of his name. But apparently he had a whole murder for hire situation. Hold on a second. I'm gonna look it up. Murder for hire. Wide receiver. NFL. As soon as I see his name, I'm gonna be like, yeah, Ray Carruth. There he goes. Former NFL wide receiver. Ray Carruth is one of the most infamous professional sportsmen in history. Carruth, the first round draft pick by the Carolina Panthers in 1997, served 19 years in prison for hiring assassins to kill his girlfriend, Sharika Adams, and her unborn child. That is interesting that David chose to murder Uriah instead of just murdering, having Bathsheba murdered. Hmm. All right. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another or a neighbor before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and, and in broad daylight. He didn't just say wife. He said wives. Plural. Like I'm about to give all your wives away. spider now crawling on my bible david responded to nathan i have sinned against the lord then nathan replied to david and the lord has taken away your sin you will not die however because you treated the lord with such contempt in this matter the son born to you will die then nathan went home man talk about some hard news that you have to deliver to somebody
the death of Bathsheba's son, the Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died, but David's servants on the seventh day. Uh, all right. Let's, once again, let's read BibleStudy.org. Significance of number seven again. I'm going to read it directly from number seven. Bible. So, where is it? Yeah, here you go. I love this website. The meaning of, yeah, if you go to biblestudy.org, you can type in just about any number. Most of the major numbers in the Bible, any number, and it will give you all the significance and all the occurrence, most of the major occurrences that it, it takes place in the Bible. So the number seven is used 735 times, 54 times in the book of Revelation alone. The number seven is the foundation of God's word. If we include with his, this count how many times sevenfold and seventh is used, our total jumps to 860 references. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection, both physical and spiritual. It derives much of its meaning from being tied directly to God's creation of all things. According to some Jewish traditions, the creation of Adam occurred on September 26. Hmm. 3760 or 3760 BC, or the first day of Chishri. Hmm. Which is the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar. The word created is used seven times describing God's creative work. Three times there are seven days in a week and God's Sabbath is on the seventh day. I need to send this to my brother. Hold on a second, y'all. So anyway, I encourage y'all to go read. It says, yeah, once again, I'll just read that again. Playing, playing final. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection, both physical and spiritual. So yeah, on the seventh day, the baby died. So even in this death, there's something to the completeness and perfection. Completeness and perfection. Anyway, this there's probably more to that I could read into it, but I'm just going to keep going. But David's servants were afraid to tell him that the baby was dead. They said, look, while he was... While the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. I thought he might try to commit suicide. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. 
Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshiped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But then when he was when he died, you got up and ate food. That is interesting. While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. All right. Now, this is a very interesting passage because there's a scripture about because people were getting on some of the other disciples for not fasting. Huh? Where is it? Fast. While the bridegroom is here. Mark two nineteen. Jesus answered, "How can all right? We're gonna read the whole. We gotta get the context. So I need Matthew, Mark chapter two. Yeah, Mark chapter two. In fact, we're gonna to turn to it here because this is an interesting passage, and I'll make a quick connection before I keep reading. Mark chapter two." Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark, <sighs> two, where is it? A question about fasting. Here we go. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and when they, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wine skins. Let me just read these 20 of his notes. On here. The Old Testament certainly expected God's people to fast periodically, but the presence of the Messiah signaled a time for rejoicing and celebration. It would be no more appropriate for his followers to fast in his presence than for friends of a groom to fast at his wedding. Fasting would come later when the groom was taken away. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the legitimacy of fasting would resume. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the legitimacy of fasting would resume. Alright, so the parallel I'm trying to make here, or that is popping up in my head, and I'm going to write, write this down. This is from 2 Samuel. What again? Second Samuel twelve. Second Samuel two Samuel uh, twenty two. 
Second Samuel twelve twenty two. Signs here. Yeah, Second Samuel twelve twenty two. See. All right. So the connection I'm making here is here. Here David is. While the baby was alive, it's like the reverse. <laughs> Jesus was saying, why would you fast when I'm here? It's interesting. And But David, the reason why he was fasting, like, and the reason for fasting is, I'm learning, is very important. Like, when you fast, the reason for it. There's always a reason for why you fast. There should be a motive for it. Like, um to get closer in relationship with God or there's like a specific area trying to get breakthrough in or yeah praying for a person like you know I'm just gonna take this whole day off and fast right and so but the ultimate blessing that comes from fasting is you it draws you closer to the Lord at least that's my personal revelation and experience with fasting um it puts your focus completely on the Lord and I've learned like it's important the last time I fasted, I was like, you know, this is like I I try to do it while it's still working. And I was like, I need to actually take an entire day off when I fast, like not do any work, not do any anything else, but focus on spending time in God's word and prayer. And like to me, that's the most productive form of fast, because the whole point of it is like if turns all of your attention on the Lord. Um. I honestly don't do well with like doing week long and month long fasting. This is my personal preference. I'd rather have quality fasting than quantity fasting. Just this is me personally. Um, or like if I do do something like if I'm going to fast for an entire week, I'll do like, OK, I'm just going to fast one meal this week during that particular time. And I'm going to make sure I dedicate like 30 minutes to an hour, like during a lunch break to where I spend time with God's word and prayer. This is, once again, this is all me. Anyway, here David is. He's crying and weeping and fasting and praying that God would save this baby. And then when the baby dies, he's like, why should I fast now? They thought, he, why would, you know, the baby is gone now. I thought God was going to save the baby. And then here, fast forward to Mark chapter 218. In fact, I'm right there. See Mark chapter 218. We see they're like, they're questioning, why aren't your disciples fasting? And he's like, hey, why would they fast? Like, this is a time of partying and feasting. Like, I'm here. The bridegroom is here. But there will be time after I die. Like, we fast now because we're yearning and longing for Jesus to return. Like, to actually see him face to face. I don't know. This I don't know. I'm probably not making a whole lot of sense of what I'm saying. And I I, I, encourage, I just challenge y'all to this. I don't know. Read this chapter here. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. And then go read Mark 2.18. And then just see if the Lord speaks to you about anything. So... All right. After doing that little tangent rabbit hole, the birth of Solomon. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her and slept with her. I just had to do that because say that because fasting. Sorry, uh, fasting to me like has been so like the joy of it has been stolen. At least for me, 
because I'll never forget once again being a kid growing up and just like feeling being made to feel like I was less of a, less of a Christian if I didn't like join in the church's corporate fast or like the real Christians they fast and I've heard different stories of different ministries where these kids were fasting for several days and getting like having all kind of health issues because of it and um yeah anorexia and all kinds of crazy stuff and I don't know like just the joy and the peace and the comfort that's supposed to come from fasting has been robbed and stolen at least for me and so any scripture that kind of highlights to me the purpose of fasting like here David was saying like hey I was mainly just fasting because I thought the Lord was going to save my baby and here's a perfect example as well as like God doesn't always answer every single one of our prayers and just because he didn't answer David's prayer doesn't mean that God isn't good that he isn't you know um I'm omnip- omnipotent um like that happened recently there was a guy i know of um who was in a coma and his entire family and friends everybody was like spending several days fasting and praying and just asking the lord to wake him up from this coma and he didn't he never woke up from it and so i personally feel like the the faith not just the faith but because I'm sure a lot of people's faith was tested about God's character and his goodness when he passed away and they didn't, his prayer, the prayers weren't answered. Like, what, like, you know, my automatic thought would be like, what was the point of doing all that? If God, if we weren't going to answer the prayer, this, this is, that's, that's the realistic Aaron, you know, kicking in a sarcastic Aaron, but, um, the spirit of man Aaron you know who's stronger than my flesh says no God is still good God is sovereign and that those prayers just drew those people that the people are praying for this man his family members who are praying for him to come back it just drew them even closer to the Lord even more so um what else oh yeah just the fact that David (laughs) I loved how David just rolled, man. David just had this, like, dope relationship with God. He just like, well, God didn't answer the prayer. So he's gone now. This baby's not here. I'm assuming it was a he. Um, or it could have been a she. It didn't say. You, I mean, there's no way we would know what the sex of the baby was going to be. Um, they didn't have test, you know, sonograms back then. But anyway, the ba- yeah, after that, he's like, I'm just going to go wash up. And uh, go eat. So, I don't know. I'm resting on this particular part because there's something to this where I honestly feel like, yeah, and just the sin that David, not to say that David should have, um, the fact that David didn't just like wallow in his sin, like, oh, I'm a big sinner. I should have, you know, never done what I did with Bathsheba and this baby, like, he got up and he moved on with his life. Like, I don't know. There's something about the fact that David got up and moved on his Lord, his life. Like there's something liberating to that. Let that just chew on that. And let that marinate. David got up 
and moved on with life. This from a practical level. Cause sometimes we commit some grave sins. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be a time of like repentance and weeping before the Lord and fasting and just like get but part of that part of that too is like healing. Heal there's a healing that takes place. Healing takes place when we fast. Anyway, David never was, I'm sure, never forgot this whole incident until the day he died and probably had some regrets about it. But, um, yeah, he moved on. The birth of Solomon, verse 24. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and he sent a message through the prophet Nathan, who named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Hold on a second. What's going on here? Who got named Jedidiah? So he got a second name. Solomon has two names. That's how I read that. Jedediah and Solomon. Or a prophet to name. Who named. Hmm. Alright, and then what does alright, what does Solomon mean? It means peace. Peace. What does Jedediah mean? Beloved of the excuse me, beloved of the Lord. Beloved of the Lord. Peace. So that's something beautiful about that. Right after David experienced his worst. Let's hear God. It's gonna draw one big online. God gave David peace after his worst experience in life. Shalom. So that's an encouragement to me and anybody else listening. Like you might have committed the worst sin and the anger mind and you might have be dealing with the consequences of that right now but i'm here to tell you that god can and will send you peace the biggest you don't really have to do anything to earn that peace but there is something to like spending time in his presence and that peace may come a little you may actually sense it even more because it's there it's there already but to actually sense it you have to spend time with the lord and fasting and praying helps do that that's just that's just how i read that anyway i could be once again when i'm reading all this stuff and sharing my own personal you know thoughts about these words these texts that i read it's all to hopefully encourage somebody and i might there might be some some wrong in it shoots my dad always says chew on the meat spit off the bones so 
and go and read it for yourself captions to anybody who has listened to this later in the future and they just critique everything that i have said on here like this dude don't know what he's talking about he just rambles i don't know i just have all these thoughts sometimes as i'm doing this podcast like this is a thought that just goes through my mind of like you know you go on you can go on to um social media now and people love to critique people who do uh anything podcasts pastors anybody that's doing anything that will critique it and have some harsh things to say and so sometimes i think about that like what kind of critiques people will give me and um anyway my main goal in doing this is just encourage you to read the word more anyway let's wrap this up because uh i'm approaching 30 minutes and i just said a few episodes ago i'm gonna try to keep these episodes short <laughs> all right capture of the city of rahab raba a rabba let's say we'll call that rabba because it kind of looks like rabbit but with A-H on the end. Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal fortress. Then Joab sent messengers to David to say, I have fought against Rabbah and therefore assemble the rest of the troops, lay siege to the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will be the one to capture the city and it will be named after me. So David assembled all the troops and went to Rabbah. He fought against it and captured it. He took the crown from the head of their king, and it was placed on the David on David's head. The crown weighed seventy-five pounds of gold, and it had precious had a precious stone on it. In addition, David took away a large quantity of plunder from the city. He removed the people who were in the city and put them to work with saws, iron picks, and iron axes, and to labor as at brick making. He did the same to all the Ammonite cities. Then he and all his troops return to Jerusalem once again this is a foreshadowing to Jesus he's gonna he has a crown placed on his head went from a crown of thorns to a crown as king when he was was resurrected I have fought against Rabbah I need to go back and read who this Joab guy is again. Who was he? I'm not going to do that right now, but y'all can go back and read read uh, who Joab was. <sighs> this look is bothering me. Who was Joab? Joab, the son of Zariah, was the nephew of King David and the commander of his army. Okay, he's one of the ones that was placed in in leadership. Yeah. When God, when David established his, uh, his kingdom. And he started putting people in positions of authority. Alright, here we go. Let's read these Tony Evans notes and close it out. I think I'm done for the night. Or at least for now. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Do some writing, probably. It feels good to just take the day off and chill. But even when I take a day off, I can't just, like, chill, chill. I have to, like, actually be doing something that I enjoy. And reading the Bible brings me joy and peace.
It's my form of uh, self-care, as people like to call it. <laughs> people ask you, like, what is your self-care? Uh, reading the Bible and podcasting for True the Bible. Writing about the Bible. I don't know. It seems like nowadays is the only thing that makes sense anymore. Everything else in the world is just filled with chaos and craziness. All right. This gives me peace. Nathan told a story of injustice and the crime was so obvious and cruel that David jumped to the defense of the injured party. He said, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown pity. No pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Sadly, though, David had no idea that the tale was a parable of his own actions. The rich man represented David. The poor man represented Uriah. And the ewe lamb represented Bathsheba. David's sin had blinded him. In condemning the rich man, he condemned himself. That's why yeah, the word already says that we're already condemned. Already condemned. As soon as we're born into this world, we're condemned. Verse, and then these are the notes for verses 7 through 12. In short, David had repaid the Lord with wickedness after God had graciously placed under his authority and control everything that belonged to King Saul, including Saul's wives who would become servants of the king in his kingdom since there is no indication that David married them. As a result, the sword would never leave his house. From that day, however, Forward, David's family would be plagued by rape, murder, and rebellion. Hmm. Rape, murder, rebellion. This is that's that's the hard part to hear because yeah, sin, all of our sin has consequences, and it's about to get ugly for David from this point forward. And as I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm like, Lord, just have grace. Have grace and mercy on my family. I'll never forget sitting in that restaurant. Uh, what was it? What's the name of that little steak place? Cheese steak place. Oh, I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, I was having a Philly cheese steak or some kind of sandwich at this place. Um, and fries. And this guy from my old church, he had been through a divorce and got remarried and had a whole blended family, co-parents, all that stuff. He's like, I'll never forget. He's like, Aaron, you don't want another man raising your kids. And I experienced, I haven't experienced all this stuff that David has experienced, but I've been experiencing some of it where my wife is now, she got remarried like less than a year after my divorce our divorce so yeah when god said to david or nathan said god said through the prophet nathan from this day for yeah your wives are gonna sleep <laughs> with these other men or whatever right before your very eyes in broad daylight yeah i don't know i just i've seen i've god has dealt with me but he's been very gracious to me as well. So I just pray that it doesn't get worse from here. That my prayer is that that just be restoration and grace covering my whole situation. And it doesn't get as bad as it did for David after he committed the big sin. I felt for me, I didn't. 
it's I'm being very, very vulnerable right now, but I feel like I need to do this. And this episode is getting super long, but I never actually. Well, all right, I can't say never. All right, let's be real. So let's be 100 percent honest here. So for years and years and years while I was married, I wouldn't say I was an addict, but several times I will look at pornography while I was married and because it's something I had a habit I developed since the age I was uh, eight and so I look at pornography and my former wife saw it as adultery every time I did it and yeah the Bible even technically sees it as adultery because it says if even if you were to look at a woman and lusted her within your eyes you've already committed adultery that's the standard God says like so anybody who's like oh I've never cheated on my wife I've never slept with anybody else it's like but have you lusted after another woman have you looked at pornography and you've committed adultery so anyway i never actually did that until it's wild like maybe it was like a month because yeah we got divorced january of 2018 it was like a month before like a month before the actual divorce proceeding right i was like well the chances of us getting back together don't look like they're gonna happen and this woman who was like a friend of a friend DM'd me on Facebook Messenger, which, fellas, be careful, because, yeah, be very careful about who you're friends with on social media and what access they have to you, especially of the opposite sex, especially if you're married or you're separated. And so, yeah, that entire time while I was separated, I didn't, I'm trying to think, did I sleep with anybody while we were separated? Nope, didn't didn't sleep with anybody and then it was like a month before our divorce was scheduled to happen because it was like january 17th was the divorce anyway a month before that yeah this woman dm'd me it's a weird because she has uh, i'm not gonna say her name anyway i'm not gonna say that <laughs> that's a little too personal but and i've already been very personal already and transparent but yeah a month before the actual divorce she dm'd me asked me and she was yeah, kind of drunk she asked me like but not like this was consensual i gotta i gotta clarify that but she was a little tipsy you know how people are they use tipsy distance an excuse to do whatever they want and so anyway dm me to come over i went over and yeah I slept with this woman before um my, my divorce and um i'll never forget going to the shower that night I think i was sleeping in my car still at that time so anyway i would go to the gym this gym that i would uh shower at and i remember just being in that shower just crying crying i knew something i knew something had changed in my life and in the spirit realm after doing that like any chance of like actual reconciliation with my former wife was like super slim now when it really could have probably happened if i hadn't have done that and she didn't know about it because we we weren't talking. That's a whole other story why we weren't talking. But anyway, so where is I going with all that? What was I saying all that? Yeah, you may not think that you have committed adultery. But every time you lust after a woman that's not your wife or the same thing for you ladies out there, you've committed adultery against God ultimately. And you're going to, at some point, actually act it out. Those things that you're doing in secret, you're going to act it out at some point. And now there's tons and tons of grace. Like, right now, I'm going through that right now. There's 
I've fallen off the wagon recently when it comes to like masturbation and I don't look at pornography, but let's just say at times I'll get on Instagram and I'll look at photos of beautiful women and I'm convicted about it and and I keep wrestling with the Lord about it like God I know I'm in not a, not in a position financially and emotionally and spiritually to be married right now to, to take care of a wife and provide for a family if she desires to have a, a bigger family but I also have this very strong desire I'm 34 years old and I really want to have sex real bad and I have these urges and I want to act them out and release and so god like i need your help to sustain me during this time or like send me a wife and it's not even so much the sexual stuff it's like just having a companion who loves me and talks to me and not feeling rejected and feeling accepted but i'm realizing even as i'm processing through and talking this out like there all right so there was something in david's heart right David had all those wives, all those beautiful women, right, around him, but it wasn't enough. And he saw Uriah, I mean, yeah, not Uriah, he saw um, Bathsheba, and he's like, I want her, but why did he want her? As I'm thinking, like, why did he want her? Obviously, there was a hole in David's heart that wasn't being fulfilled by any of these women, even after his Bathsheba there was a God-sized hole, which is inside of all of our hearts, that can't be fulfilled by any sex, by any amount of money, any amount of fame, any kind of career, job title, whatever you label success in this world, you'll constantly be striving for. It's like that carrot, but you'll never be able to actually get it, right? Or like, it's like a mirage uh, of water. If you've seen like mirages in the desert, where it looks like there's water there, but there's not. Anyway, but the Lord is like a spring springing forth from the depths of the earth in like an ocean like or like a waterfall. And, and I probably shouldn't use ocean because you can't really drink ocean water. But like, yeah, a spring water waterfalls like you can drink that and it's nourishing. It's refreshing. And he is he desires to be that for each and every one of us. And he'll allow us to keep searching for love and think these things in all the wrong places but just like me for years i was longing for even now i still long for things on this earth that only god can fulfill right so and this battle won't go away until i check up out of here but my encouragement for all of you is that like just keep turning to the lord just keep turning to him, keep turning to him, keep turning to him. And he fulfilled all of those desires of your heart. And at the end of it, you'll realize like at the end of the day, what you really wanted, all you desired was him. Nothing else. Just like that song. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Yeah, that song. Um. All right. Where was I before I got on that tangent? Joab. Okay. According to the law of Moses, David deserved to die for adultery and murder, yet God graciously forgave him and spared his life. Nevertheless, there would still be serious consequences beginning with the death of Bathsheba's baby.
there's so much more I could talk about in my parallels in my life to David, but I'll, I don't know, I'll save it for like a book later or something or just in a blog post. I don't know. I'm still wrestling with how, what to share and when to share and how to share because there's so much stuff that I've been through in my life already at 34 years old that I'm sure a lot of people could relate to and they'd be like, why in the world are you still a Christian? <laughs> like, <laughs> why do you even bother? And it's because I know through it all, God has been with me. Um, despite my biggest failures, that's when I felt actually closest to the Lord. All right. This name Solomon sounds like the Hebrew word for peace, but the Lord named him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. This was a gracious sign that God had not removed his love from David. But I'm curious to know why they don't call him Jedediah. He always is referred to as Solomon. Joab urged David to come to Rabbah and finish the battle. Lest Joab win the fight and gain the honor instead of the king. It's interesting that David even had the courage to still fight with all this going on. So I'm put that despite personal problems. At home, David still fought that's a lesson for all of us we might be having a lot of craziness going on but we can still fight and even in ultimately God is the one who gave gave David the victory that David had any kind of victory clearly yeah the spirit of the Lord was still on David because compared to remember Saul after he sinned, after Saul sinned, he lost God's favor in battle. Not so with David. Alright, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord. I know we spent more time in this, but I feel like, Lord, there are so many people, Lord, who may be in a position, especially men out here, who may might be in a position of David where they may have committed a grave sin, where they committed adultery, um, they murdered somebody, they, um, shoot, David did it all, had murdered, adultery, and just did the most heinous crime, Lord whatever you want to think of fill in the blank but they felt like you have left them and that they can never be restored again and clearly you even though our sin has consequences lord and there's challenges that are going to come in david's life we clearly see that the favor your favor was still with him god so i thank you lord that we have that same opportunity with you um, sending your son Jesus who died in, for us and that you, we can ask you into our hearts and when we ask you into our hearts our lives are filled with grief, filled with pain, filled with mistakes, filled with bad choices filled with consequences for those bad choices but we have this confidence that you give us peace, that you give us restoration 
and that ultimately just like Jedediah means beloved of the Lord we are your beloved somehow you still call us beloved despite our flaws all of our bad choices all of our mistakes so I thank you for that and I pray for those that might be struggling even myself as I'm talking might be struggling with regret over our past bad choices and want to kick ourselves like how could we have done that and we want to go back wish we could do it all over again and do it differently i just pray lord this a cleansing and a purification will take place in our hearts and our minds and from this day forward we would just be able to walk in peace and remember that when we look in the mirror that we are your beloved and that we've been cleansed of all unrighteousness in jesus mighty name i pray amen all right y'all I will see y'all later because now we're about to talk about Abnon and Tamar. Is this the same Tamar? Hold on a second. From earlier, wasn't there a Tamar from earlier? Hold on. All right. This is getting interesting. All right. I'll be back.